0: Today we're starting a new series called The Things of the Spirit, and this is going to be a longer series, and we're going to probably maybe do about 12-ish weeks, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. We'll see. We're going to be led by the Spirit in this to see how this goes. We have a little bit of a plan, but you never know. The Holy Spirit might want to do something else. Um, and if you're a Christian, one of the big things it means to be a Christian, or if you're interested in being a Christian, one of the big things is, is believing in the Trinity, our church is called Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, right? Now, for a lot of Christians, their experience or their, their knowledge can be more like Father, Son, and Holy Bible, where maybe the Spirit isn't talked about much. There's not really much understanding of the, the ministry of the work of the Holy Spirit. Or on the other end of the spectrum, you can have some people's experience can be more like Father, Son, and get me the heck out of here. Because perhaps there's an excessive or or Not necessarily an excessive um, emphasis on the Spirit, but maybe an unhealthy expression of that. And so today I want to give us a strong introduction, a strong foundation, theological foundation. So as we go through this series, and I'm not going to hit everything today, so if you come up to me afterwards saying, why didn't you say that, or what about this, or you missed this, we got 12 weeks, people. Just slow down, slow down. And uh, we're laying this biblical foundation. What I've learned over the years in talking about the subject matter of the Holy Spirit is that there's a lot of confusion, a lot of misunderstanding, and we have to get this biblical foundation first so that we can build on top of that. So uh, today, um, we're going to be the the title of today's sermon is The Ten Works of the Spirit. And there may be more than ten. This is just my stab at. Trying to come up with a, a, a fairly comprehensive list. Um, some of these overlap. Um, there, there may be, there may be some of them. People may argue these. Some of these should be combined together, or you could add a few others. You know, that's not the point. The point is that we're going to be getting this this broad understanding of what the Holy Spirit. Um, who he is, what he does, and um, what his responsibilities and roles are. So let's, uh, let's pray. We're going we're gonna to be in God's Word. We're actually going to look at more Scripture today than we normally would uh, in a sermon. But I don't have—it's a little different. I don't have a main passage that I'm preaching from. But I'm, We're going to be—man, we're going to be drawing from all kinds of parts of the Bible today, so it's going to be very exciting. Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your Spirit. Come by your power. Give us— a deep understanding and appreciation of your ministry, Holy Spirit. Give us wisdom and insight. Help us if there's been anything in our past that's spoiled us to this subject matter, that's made us concerned about it. Help your word to heal that in us. For those who are nervous or unsure what this means, I pray, give them confidence that your presence is good. It's good to be in your presence. And Lord, for anyone that doesn't know you yet, Holy Spirit, show them the way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to start off with 10 works of the Spirit. So number one is creation. This is one of the big responsibilities, the big roles of the Holy Spirit in creation. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 says this, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So here's what we see in the Bible is. We see the the Holy Spirit gets depicted in certain ways. So even in the Gospel of of Matthew, the Holy Spirit is depicted with the grace of a bird. Says that the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. We see in the Book of Acts that the Holy Spirit is depicted like a forceful wind, or a strong or flames of, of fire as well. We also see in the Gospel of John, I think it's John 7, that the Holy Spirit is kind of depicted with the fluidity of water. Now, what's happening here is people are experiencing the Holy Spirit, and they're saying, you know, they're seeing something, or they're they're sensing something, or understanding something, and they're saying, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit, the best thing it reminds me of is, oh, it's like a bird, or like a, it's like a, a fire, or a wind, or there's something about it that makes people think of that, and what that tells us is that people are trying to describe the quality and the nature of the manifestation of God's Spirit. That doesn't mean that he is a bird, or that he is fire, or that he is wind. Actually, the most important thing we can understand from this first point, creation. Actually, you can just go ahead and keep those up as we go through them. The first one that we learn in this, under this point of creation, is that the Holy Spirit is a, is involved in establishing all of those things, in establishing the creation of creatures and birds, and fire and wind and. Water, that the Holy Spirit was there at the beginning doing this. And you see it not just in creation, you see it in what's called the incarnation, which is where Jesus, God became flesh. That's one of the most mysterious things in the whole Bible. How can God, who is an eternal spirit, become a human being? Well, the Holy Spirit did that. So not only was there Genesis power at the beginning where the, the Holy Spirit is hovering over the face of the waters, involved in the very creation of everything, we see He was involved in. Jesus being born as a man. We also see that he was involved in the birth of the church. What's called the the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples. And the church was begun, the church was born. Throughout history, we see with radical, genesis, power, the Holy Spirit is doing mighty works. It would be foolish for us, therefore, to pigeonhole the Holy Spirit into this idea that, well, the Holy Spirit is just... Just, you know, warm, fuzzy feelings or personal words that we might share with each other. Soft, nice little interactions. Since the beginning of time, he has done extravagant, powerful works of creation. Genesis, power. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the third person of God. The second responsibility, role, work of the Spirit that we see is conviction. The Holy Spirit works in conviction. So in John chapter 16, verse 8, it says, And when he, the Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. It should be a clue to us. It's in the name, Holy Spirit. It's not just any spirit. He's the Holy Spirit. What do you think is going to happen if you meet a Holy Spirit? Do you think you might become aware of how unholy you are? and how holy that spirit is, and how perhaps you might even become more holy as a result of encountering a spirit whose name is Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come to challenge human wrongdoing. And this is a skillful and emotional work, so quite different to Genesis power in creation. This is more of a scalpel-type situation where we have the Holy Spirit coming into the human heart and making it apparent to us the heaviness of our own sin and transgression. It's not nice to be convicted of sin. When you when you become aware you've done something wrong, it's heavy, isn't it? It's heavy. But here's the beauty. The beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit is that it results in what's called the, the righteous. Um, the, 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 there is uh, the, 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 the freedom of. What is it's Hebrews twelve eleven says that the, the fruit of righteousness is peacefulness. So the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit coming upon us, convicting our souls and convicting our spirits, is that we're not just being crushed by it. We're not just being discouraged by it. We're not just being convicted like you're evil, sinful, disgusting people, just hate yourselves. The way the Holy Spirit does is, yes, there's a heaviness that comes with it because we have to know we've done something wrong, but yet there is peace. The outworking of it, the long-term outworking of it is that there is peace. Sometimes Christians wrongfully will point at demons or the devil and blame everything on satanic powers. Well it's just the devil's fault. Well was just the devil tempting me. And of course those things can be true. But we actually have a perfect candidate here in the third person of God, who it is his responsibility to convict us of sin, and he does this in light of and sometimes in spite of our own conscience. Let me tell you about the, the mystery of the vanishing quesadilla. To illustrate this point of conviction. Many, many years ago now, there was a man who looked just like me. And this man, who was me, was with his family. Many, How old were you, McCray? Several years ago now, many years ago now, I was a much younger child. And we were having family movie night, and... Uh, my wife had made cheese quesadillas for the kids, and uh, in usual fashion, Jones and Paisley gobbled theirs up right away. Uh, but McCray is more of a saver, so my son McCray saved, I think he ate half of it, or saved the other half, something like that, and put, left it in the kitchen. Now, I had made a deal with my wife. I think I was doing keto or doing something, so I wasn't eating bread. Wasn't, I was off cheese as well. Well, that doesn't make sense on keto. Anyway, whatever I was doing, I wasn't eating those two things. So um, I go up You know, go to the restroom during the movie, go into the kitchen. I see the rest of this quesadilla there. And, of course, there's no one around. And I actually made a financial deal with my wife where I said, if I eat any of this stuff, you know, in the next month or two months or something, I owe you 20 bucks, something like that. But there was no one around. And I was just really wanting some bread and some cheese. And I was thinking, well, he maybe he was full. He didn't eat the whole thing, so I ate it. I ate the quesadilla. And then I forgot about it. And at the end of the movie, Macrae had remembered, goes back into the kitchen, discovers the mystery of the missing quesadilla, the vanishing quesadilla, runs back in, says, somebody ate my quesadilla. We're all outraged. We all run into the kitchen. Who would have done this? My wife's looking at the kids. She looks at me and says, you didn't eat it, did you? I looked at her and I said, no. It must have been one of the other children. True story. So about a week went by. I don't know why I lied about it. I didn't want to pay the $20. That's probably why I lied about it. I lied about it. Every day, the conviction got worse. It got worse and worse and worse. The Holy Spirit's prodding me, convicting me. Like, this is such a stupid thing to lie about in the first place. Plus, you're lying. And we were, my wife and I were walking down the street, and I just... I just, it just It was building up. It was building up. And I just blurted out to her, I ate the quesadilla. It was me. She, her drawer dropped. And it was now a favorite family story for many, many, oh, forever now. It's a great, great family story. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The third work of the Spirit we see is Conversion. Conversion. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Now, if you think you can save yourself, just read that verse over and over and over. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of re- regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Here's what the other, the other role that the Holy Spirit does, is he takes dead people and he makes them alive. He takes dead people and he makes them live. That's right. Let's have a word on that. Thank you so much. I love this. Man, we're on form today. The Holy Spirit comes to people and he seals them. The Holy Spirit says in Scripture that the Holy Spirit seals us. That means we're eternally secure in God from that point forward. Once we come into God's family. We're told that the Holy Spirit comes and makes his home within us. And this is a very personal act, a very personal work that the Holy Spirit comes to do. It's not a distant God who's just kind of waving a magic wand far away and being like, yeah, I'll I'll save that one, and what about that one over there looks good, and maybe that one over there. The Holy Spirit personally comes to this transforming work of conversion and transforms our hearts. This is hands-on work. This is elusive to the world. The world is enamored with constantly trying to create an identity for itself. I mean, we, we've, this is boiled to the surface in our culture, hasn't it? People are trying to radically force an identity, either onto themselves or into the world, to define themselves. You can only be defined by God because he is our maker, and he, he's the one that gives us purpose and meaning. And so the Holy Spirit, what the Ho- Holy Spirit does is he radically reorients the, the trajectory of our own heart. He fundamentally changes us. We're not perfected at that point. But but there's something in our affection, something in our desire, deep down, that is permanently changed. Before I was a slave to righteousness, sorry, a slave to sin, that was the wrong way around. Before I was a slave to sin, now, my heart's different. Now, I want to follow God. I, actually, my, my, my desires have been changed somehow. I'm not perfect. I, I, I can still fall into sin. I'm still vulnerable to temptation. All those things are true. But, man, I've been, I've been converted I've been, been transformed deep down. And this is elusive to the world. the world. The world desperately, people desperately want their heart to be different, desperately want things to be changed, but only the divine presence of God can change people in such a deep way. The fourth work of the Spirit that we see is confirmation. In John chapter 15, verse 26, it says this. It says, The Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me so that's Jesus saying that so the Holy Spirit this is another role of the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit corroborates who Jesus is he's come to glorify he's come to confirm it in our own hearts so he he confirms yeah these are the the works of Jesus they're true they're real he confirms the words of Jesus they're true they resonate it resonates in our hearts that yeah I I believe in Jesus It's what he says and what he did it's true it's confirmed in my heart it's true in contrast to that, what do evil spirits try to do? They try to undermine. They try to cast doubt and insecurity. Say, oh, you can't really trust that. That's not right. That's just taken from something else. Or, well, there have been lots of good teachers, but Jesus is just one of them. Tries to cast all of those doubts. And so the Holy Spirit being this, doing this work of confirmation makes him the chief persuader for Jesus, for who Jesus is. So that people that don't believe, people who are want to come into the Christian faith, not only are they convicted of their sin, but they suddenly find a confirmation. They suddenly find, oh yeah, I, I can actually believe in this now. He bears witness. So, and this is powerful when you think about it for Christians. When you're doubting, when you're struggling, and the Holy Spirit shows up, and there's, there, is, there is an internal work that he does where he speaks the truth and he confirms and something changed. it's like nothing's changed on the outside, but everything's changed because there's this confirmation work going on on the inside. This is the powerful, dynamic, amazing work of the Holy Spirit. The fifth work that we see is character. This is a big responsibility that the, the Holy Spirit has. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, it says this. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. All Christians experience the character-shaping power of the Holy Spirit. This is a direct result of the Holy Spirit being in your life, is that he is shaping our character. Now, it describes this work as being fruit. And so, there's a reason that the the Bible tells us that the Spirit's work in our character is like fruit, so we can extrapolate some ideas about how it works, that, oh, okay, then as fruit grows, oh, so character growth, oh, it's gradual. It's seasonal. Oh, there's there's pruning and tending that happens. But the end result is that something sweet and satisfying is going to come from this, unless, of course, you're growing lemons or something, or you are a lemon. But the work of the Holy Spirit, we can trust, is strawberries and blueberries, it's all the good stuff, all the stuff you like, all the best fruits that you like. Lemons are the good stuff. Lemons are the good stuff. <laughs> Don't poo-poo the lemons. I take it back. I repent. I, I feel convicted again. We'll go with the lemons. So, the Holy Spirit is like this expert gardener. He knows how the kind of soil that we need to grow. He's... Tending, he's present. He is he's attentive to to the work. He's pruning when we need to be pruned. He's protecting, he's building fences to to guard us from certain things, and he's creating this rich environment where we can thrive and we can grow. He is a a character-shaping mastermind. Using all of the circumstances in our life to influence us. And not just working from the outside in, but working from the inside out, actually helping us respond to those things around us because he wants to produce Christ. like He's gradually changing us and transforming us to reflect the image of Jesus. This is the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. The sixth work of the Spirit is comfort. Comfort. John 14 verse 16 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now, I'm reading from the ESV. It uses the word helper because you see it's capitalized there. It's referring to the Holy Spirit. Other translations will use the word comforter. And other scriptures will say that God is the God of all comfort. So this is a description of one of the ministries of God, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, that he brings us comfort. And the uh, ESV uses the word helper because it's trying to grab a hold of this broad idea of what it means to be a comforter. There's there's this broad idea of personal support, um, this idea... Comfort or helper means to come alongside somebody. Because we might think of comfort as, oh, you just, you know, someone's sad, you just, you're there for them, you give them a hug, you know, you just, you're just comforting. You just want to be a positive presence in the, in the dark situation. But, but the, the work of the Holy Spirit, the, the word helper is, is, is a helpful word for it because it's more than just comforting. Yes, it's consoling. Yes, it's encouraging. Yes, it's affirming. Yes, it's all of those things. But there's also a sense of strengthening in it. This is the true biblical understanding of what it means to give comfort is that there's strengthening that happens in the comfort. So the Holy Spirit doesn't treat us like little infants where you just get, you know, sometimes we can kind of coddle out you know kids too much and not actually help them cope with the trials and the tragedies and the hardships of life. The Holy Spirit doesn't treat us like we're little infants. Actually, the Holy Spirit comes to us and strengthens us, comes alongside us. So we're still in those trials, still in those difficulties, but we're being comforted and strengthened through them. So, that, so he lifts us out of those things in that encouraging, comforting way. The seventh work of the Spirit is counsel. Counsel. Galatians 5, 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So to walk by the Spirit is like following a guide. So instead of following the desires of our own flesh, our flesh says, go this way. That way is gratifying. That way is great. The Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit gives us counsel and says, nope, you need to go this way. Instead of following the course of the world, while well, everyone else is doing it, this is, what every, this is what's popular. The Holy Spirit says, no, this is the way to go. This way, instead. As Christians, we're supposed to become in tune with the voice of the Spirit so that we align our steps and our activity with the directional counsel of the Holy Spirit. To follow a guide is a step-by-step process, isn't it? The reason you have a guide is because you don't know the way. You don't know the way. If you knew the way, then you'd be the guide. So the Holy Spirit is our guide. He's our counselor. He, He knows the way. And so we follow at each twist and turn. Because if you never noticed, God doesn't give you a plan for your life. He has a plan, but he doesn't give you the plan, doesn't tell you. Sometimes there are certain things that are revealed ahead of time, but, but, but some big things sometimes. But a lot of the twists and turns along the way, we don't know that stuff's coming until it happens. So that's why we have a guide to help us because it's a process, a step-by-step process, following, following the counsel of the Holy Spirit. If we're not attuned to the, Holy, the voice of the Holy Spirit, how do, we, how do we make decisions in our lives? I mean, the Bible gives us moral guidance, So we know, well, that's wrong and that's wrong, so I don't want to do those things. But what if you've got, you're in situations where all the choices are moral choices. Which one should I pick? (laughs) That's what the counsel of the Holy Spirit is for, to, to help guide me in that correct direction. The eighth work of the Spirit is celebration. If you haven't noticed already, they all begin with C. Which makes me personally very happy. You just have to see if you, can, if you can guess. She's saying Jesus? Pippa over here is saying Jesus. How old is Pippa? She's going to be two soon in March. Well done, Pippa. We're here for Jesus. That's exactly right. Yeah, Jesus. Thank you. That's uh, amazing. We need to just give her a microphone. She's saying the right stuff. She hasn't even gone to Sunday school yet, and she's got all the right answers. Guys, that, that's a parent success moment right there. Now you're going to have to try and guess as we go through each of these. What are the rest? What are the seas? What are all the seas? Celebration uh, is the next one. So uh 1 Thessalonians 1:6 says this, "And you uh, became imitators of us and the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit." Now think about this. I love I love this verse. To imitate not just the apostles and the original disciples to imitate them, is also to imitate, saying to imitate the Lord as well, right? You become Im- imitators of us and of the Lord in this way. This is, how you, this is how we imitate them, is we receive the message about Jesus, the message of grace. We receive that message in our affliction, in our suffering, in our trouble, but we receive it with joy. Now, what, one thing I love about this verse is some people will read the Gospels and they'll love Jesus, they'll like Jesus, they'll say Jesus is such a radical, such a rebel, like he was against the religious elite, he did he turned things upside down. He was incredible. People will be inspired by Jesus, and, but they'll view him as being a very serious person. And of course, he suffered a lot. Especially, you know, the last part of his life was extremely difficult, which is a extreme understatement to put it in those terms. But um, this, what I love about this verse is, in Jesus' affliction, he he was full of joy. So you imitate. The way you imitate Jesus is in my affliction, in my suffering, I still can find joy and that comes from the Holy Spirit, right? It's the joy of the Holy Spirit. So how, how, do, how, do, how do people gen, generally in, tend to find joy in things? Culturally, I mean, people tend to all kinds of stuff, right? That's why we have addictions. That's why we have all kinds of problems in our cultures because people are trying to, well, they're seeking pleasure. People mix up pleasure and joy all the time. Um, we've exchanged, actually, joy. We've given up on joy. We're going for instant gratification and pleasure now. But uh, a lot of people, a lot of cultures will celebrate with wine, right? They drink wine. And even that's a biblical thing, actually. God's given, you know, verses in the Bible even say that God's given wine to make the the heart glad. And um, not to get sidetracked into a sermon about alcohol, but uh, you can either abstain, which is the John the Baptist way, or you can have it in moderation, which is the Jesus way. Um, both ways are great, and in small amounts, wine can make our hearts glad. It, can, it relaxes us. You know, it can make us merry. It can help a wedding be enjoyable. You know, all these—not that weddings are—weddings are enjoyable, too, right? I said that the wrong way. It was an accidental joke there. <laughs> I guess weddings can be a little boring sometimes. If you don't like to, to dance, our family likes to get up and dance. So that's another way to find joy. Actually, is that dance? So, um, well, so so culturally and 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 historically, people say, "Yeah, I'm just going to booze it up," you know, and and that's where I'm going to find uh, relief. I'm going to find confidence in that, or joy, or excitement, or pleasure in that. What does the Bible say? Um, Ephesians chapter five, verse eighteen, I think it is. It says, "Do not be drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. Instead," What does it say? Be filled with the Spirit. So the, the Bible draws together this idea that actually being intoxicated with alcohol is similar, better than, but similar to receiving the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being close to God's Spirit. It produces, the Holy Spirit, He produces celebration in us and joy in us. To be filled with spirits means we're spending too much time at our local dive bar. But to be filled with the Spirit is divine, to receive divine joy. The ninth work of the Spirit is courage. Courage. We see in this passage here, Acts 4, verse 31, it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the, 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 one of the results of the Spirit. Is when, you're, when, you, when you receive the Spirit, when you're filled with the Spirit, when God's presence is with you, there's courage and boldness. The disciples, they had seen Jesus' trial looming, that the crowds and the the Pharisees and the people were turning against him, that Jesus was put on trial, then crucified, buried. What did they do? They fled. They gave into fear. They lacked courage. But then, after the resurrection, Jesus was back alive again from the dead. And then on the day of Pentecost, which Pentecost was basically just a, a Jewish... Um, it was a festival. It was like a harvest festival that they had. So for, for a lot of Jewish people, you talk about Pentecost, it means something else for them. But on that day of Pentecost, on that normal harvest event, the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples and something something changed because they no, were no longer afraid. They had courage like you wouldn't believe. And under the threat of death and the death that Jesus died and under persecution, the threat of persecution and losing everything, what did they do? They spoke the word of God with boldness. They were even told by the ruling officials of the day, you have to, we're commanding, you have to stop speaking about this Jesus. And they basically said, we can't obey you, we have to obey God. What kind of courage? That's incredible courage. Actually, Jesus himself kind of, it's a little different with Jesus, of course, but even you look at the ministry of Jesus, um, the Spirit came on him at his baptism. He went into the wilderness for fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and then after that went out and was sent, it says he was sent with authority by you know the authority of the Spirit, it went out in authority and then uh, was doing the mighty works of God. And so you see it there as well. For us, though, humanly speaking, in our own flesh, we lack courage. We're afraid. I'm afraid to, Speak out about my faith. I'm afraid. Whatever it might be, I'm afraid of these different things, I'm afraid of testifying, afraid of shining the light. I'm afraid of that. But when the Spirit comes, there's courage. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, very famous verse. It says, Not by might, which means not by human might, not by power, which means by, not by human power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. It is God's Spirit who gives us the courage that we lack. What's the 10th one? The 10th C. Who knows what it is? Charisma. You weren't going to guess that one. Acts nineteen six. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Now, the word charisma, you might think, oh, is that like you know, charismatic? What, what do you mean by... It? People use the word charismatic in different ways, um, can, you know, like a charismatic leader, right? Um, that's, one way to, that's not how it's meant here. The word charisma in the Bible means gift. Gift. So the word charisma can be used when you say you receive the gift of grace. So the grace is a gift. Gift, there is the word charisma. So, great, so it's the, the charisma of grace. Oh, it's a gift. But also the word charisma is used in describing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The supernatural powerful gifts. Two are mentioned here. Controversially, the gift of tongues. Or it just means Languages. I heard a friend once in a church they were in, somebody talked about bringing a tongue. And they thought, that's gross. Why would you? They literally thought someone was going to bring a tongue. It means languages. It means someone's praying or speaking in a different language or prophesying, which means you're getting a message from God to share with somebody else. Now, the gifts of the Spirit, the charisma of the Spirit, has been greatly misunderstood ever since the beginning of the church. The Apostle Paul had to write to the Corinthians who were excessively using the gifts of the Spirit and actually wrongly using them in certain ways. And instead of telling them, instead of telling the first century Christians, they like, hey, hey, um, lay off those gifts, you know, that charisma. You, don't, uh, you know, you gotta, be, you gotta worry about that stuff. You know, that, 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 that's not always good. Don't, don't do that. Instead of doing that, the Apostle Paul says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. That's in Corinthians. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And he says, especially the gift of prophecy. If you're a Christian, if you want to believe the Bible, if you want to follow Jesus, we've got to become more curious and interested in and eager for the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy, says it. Now, there's a whole range of gifts that were functioning in the New Testament church. There's the the gift of wisdom, gift of words of of knowledge. There's uh, gifts of healing, discerning of spirits, all these different gifts, many gifts. We're told that they are not eternal that they they will end one day. But we're told that they won't end until we're face-to-face with God. But we're we're told they're given now, for the time being, we have them, and they're for the common good. They're for our good. That They're given to us to bless us. And to receive these gifts, to receive the power gifts of the Holy Spirit, we, we we see it happening a few ways in the Bible. We do see that the apostles, like in this verse here, Apostle Paul is praying for people and laying his hands on them, and they're receiving it that way. That happened. See, there's a a guy called Ananias who's not an apostle. He actually uses the gift of healing. He lays his hands on Paul, and Paul was blinded, and then he suddenly could see again. That's the gift of healing through the laying on of hands, not on apostle. We see it happening through people sometimes laying on hands, using their gifts. We see that happening, but we also see it happening just by the divine hand of God himself. No one's praying for anyone. No one's talking, you know, about receiving gifts, but the Holy Spirit gives gifts. So there's all kind of different ways it can happen. We're told it's going to continue, and we see that in church history, and we see that in contemporary testimony as well. I pray in other languages. We've had prophecies. We've had different things. We've seen people healed of things. There are different gifts at different times. These gifts are not given because of human worthiness. We don't have to get to some level of maturity to say, oh, now I've graduated from, you know, kind of uh, the light version of Christian faith. And now I'm a much more mature Christian. I can get a power gift. They're given freely by the Holy Spirit, by His will. He is the one that wills to give them. Now we're going to go, we're going to do a deep dive in this series. We're going to go through all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in this 12-week series. We're going to unpack them, go deeper into all of them so that we can get that because we, we want to do two things at Trinity Church. We want to do a couple of things. We want to go deep into what does the Word say. Because human tradition, human interpretation, all those things, hey, there can be helpful stuff with that, but you've got to come back to the truth, come back to what do the words say and what do what they mean. So we're going to do that deep dive into it, but then we're going to, we want to be stirring up our faith and asking the Holy Spirit to come fill us and empower us and use us in mighty, mighty ways. Here's what a more important point about the gifts of the Spirit, about the charisma of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul says this. Actually, his teachings in, in, in the book of Corinthians in, in the New Testament, the famous, one of the most famous passages in the Bible is the passage on love, right? Often read at those boring weddings, where it says that love is patient and love is kind. And all the, you know, that, that classic passage, right? Love is patient, love is kind, um, does not envy, you know, isn't irritable or whatever it is. I forget what it, what it says. Um, it's just really good, right? Um, that is sandwiched in the middle of where the Apostle Paul is talking about the gifts. So he starts off, he's talking about the gifts, and then he says, but you know what, if you don't have love, then you don't have anything. It doesn't matter how gifted you are. It doesn't matter how much power you have from the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter how much you can prophesy or you can pray in other languages. It doesn't matter. If you don't have love, you're just a clanging symbol. You're nothing. And so the biggest point about this aspect in receiving charisma, you know what we can't forget is number five is the character, is the character, because that's the work of the Spirit too, is to have love. That's the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's love. So this is the overarching work, these 10 fruits or works, responsibilities, roles of the Spirit. Now, to, to engage in these things, to understand them, to move into them, I want to give us, I've got a a second list of three things. But don't worry, they're A, B, C rather than one, two, three. So the first thing that we want to to understand about the the work of the Holy Spirit as we move forward is we've got to understand this, that the Holy Spirit is already at work. He is already at work. This is something there is a lot of confusion about. When we think about approaching the Holy Spirit or getting hungry for the Holy Spirit or, or, or praying for the Holy Spirit, what we've got to understand is we're not conjuring something entirely new up here. We're not... Um, activating something through our own ingenuity or our own earnestness. That's not exactly how this works. We have to see there is something pre-existing here in my own life. Consider this. The Holy Spirit was at work in creation. That was the first point. He made all things. That means, also we have direct verses about this as well. The Holy Spirit was directly involved in making you, in knitting you together in your mother's womb. If if you've come under conviction, even before maybe you were a Christian, you start to come under conviction, well, that means the Holy Spirit was in your life. At your conversion, well, that was the Holy Spirit in your life. Your character transformation, if you're more mature than you used to be, that's the Holy Spirit in your life. If you've received counsel and comfort, that's the Holy Spirit in your life. If you're a Christian, that means you're a person of the Spirit, because the Spirit does all these different things. You are a person of the Spirit. There's no such thing as being a Spirit-filled Christian. All Christians are people of the Spirit. He's already at work. We have to understand that. Point B is this, is that he has multiple roles. Now this might sound contradictory to my first point, but it's not. It perfectly goes together. He has multiple roles. So as we seek the presence of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit, we've got to understand this, that he isn't automatically doing all of his works at the same time. We would like the Holy Spirit to be logical. And the problem with with, with presenting you with 10 things the Spirit does is is that we can sometimes think, oh, those are neatly identified categories. But but the Holy Spirit blows up our categories all the time. That's just, but that list of 10 things is just my attempt to try and like isolate some of the things and and, and try to point out some of the differences between them. Some of the unique things that the Holy Spirit does. But the Holy Spirit doesn't follow our logic. He's God. The Holy Spirit is God. And so he does whatever the heck he wants to do. In any relationship, are we always experiencing the same things at the same time? <laughs> I don't know why that got a laugh, but okay. I guess it's... So, hey, with family, you know, let's say, uh, you know, um, brother, sister, mother, father, you know, whatever it is, spouse, you know, son, daughter, whoever, you know, you're, you're with different family members or friends. Are you always laughing together? Aren't you sometimes crying? Is it always fun or sometimes isn't, isn't it difficult? Isn't there conflict sometimes? Isn't it easier? Other times, isn't there sometimes lots of talking, sometimes hardly any talking? There's different things happening at different times. Here's what we've got to understand is that when the Holy Spirit is convicting us of sin, is he in that moment comforting us or counseling us? He's, doing, he's got multiple roles. He's doing different things at different times. In our character transformation, is the Holy Spirit causing us to celebrate? Maybe, but not necessarily. Or, or do we have courage in that moment as well? Maybe, but not necessarily. In our, in our conversion, was there charisma as well? Were there gifts of the spirit as well in that moment? There could have been, but not necessarily. Think about Think about water. Any illustration you give for God's going to break down at some point, but bear with me here. don't accuse me of being a heretic. You can only push it so far. But think about water. Water can be a solid, it can be a liquid, and it can be gaseous, right? I can sometimes can be a lot gaseous as well. If water is a solid, what's it going to do? It, 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 it's going to make us cold. Or if it falls on us, it's going to really hurt. right? If it's, if it's liquid, what's it going to do? It, it, could, it could quench our thirst or it could clean us. If it's in a gas form, what's it going to do? It, it could warm us or burn us, potentially, or relax us. It's, not, it's still water. It's still present, it, but it's doing different things at different times. We should not assume... That just because we experience the Holy Spirit in one way, at one time, in one work, that we should not conclude that he has done everything that he has come to do. We actually need to be humble. And we need to be submissive to the Holy Spirit. And that brings me to point C, is that he has more for us. He has more for us. The Holy Spirit has more for us. Actually, in all of the areas I talked about. So in our salvation, you know, when you're, when, when you're converted to the Christian faith, that, that regeneration work, that conversion work, your heart is literally, your identity is transformed. You've gone from being dead to being alive. Is salvation complete at that point? Theological question for you. Anyone know? Is salvation complete at that point? The Bible teaches it's not. It's, it, it teaches that you're, you're secure, been sealed with a promise, so so you'll get to to be in a relationship with God forever, but it says salvation is not complete, so that spirit has begun that work, but it's not complete until we enter heaven. So we need more. Character transformation. Are are, are we there yet? Are you you there yet? No. Character transformation is a continuous work until the last breath the Holy Spirit is going to be at work in our lives. We need more of the Holy Spirit for our, for our character to be transformed. What about courage? Do you think you're going to need a bit more courage at some point? Do you think you're going to face a situation where you say, I'm terrified, I'm fearful, I need courage? You know what you need? You need more of the Holy Spirit. If you lack courage, you need more of the Holy Spirit. Counsel. Do you think you need some counsel at some point? Some, some comfort? Well, you know what that means is it means you need the Holy Spirit, right? If you somebody that, that struggles to find joy, you know what that means. You need, need more of the Holy Spirit. It says this in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. Jesus says this. If you like Jesus and you want more of Jesus and you want to follow Jesus, and this is what Jesus says. He says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We are encouraged by Jesus to ask the Father for more of the Holy Spirit. Because God is a spirit, He's not like a physical substance that can be used up. In fact, He's without measure. So I think it's in in John chapter 3, verse 34, it says that, as Jesus is saying this, He gives the Spirit, for He, Jesus, gives the Spirit without measure. We should grow our expectations. We need more. And sometimes there might be works of the Spirit that we've never experienced. Some of them are things that we've, we, we're just not aware we've experienced them. Now we're re- reframing them saying, oh, that, I didn't know that was the Holy Spirit. Oh, okay, got it. But there might be things that we say, oh, I've just never actually experienced that before. That's okay. We should grow our expectation. As we go through this series week by week, I want to ask you, come, come on Sundays, come with faith, come with expectation, and we're going to begin to pray. We're going to lay hands on and pray. That's what they did in the Bible. We're going to pray. And we want to come with expectation that the Holy Spirit will fill us, will empower us, will give us words to pray that we've never prayed before, will give us messages to share with each other, to build each other up, to help each other, because the Holy Spirit does stuff for our common good and that we can, be, we, can, we can hear the voice of the Spirit and respond to his direction. The Holy Spirit has come to convict us of our sin. That's one of the works of the Spirit, right? If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, know this, that Jesus came and bled and died, that you might live forever. And if you're feeling the weight of human wrongdoing, that's the Holy Spirit. If you want to have a relationship with God, but you're not feeling that, then pray and ask. Say, I, I want to believe. Help me Help me believe. Help me in my unbelief. Help me to believe. Ask for that. If you already believe, if you, don't assume. Don't presume. It's presumptuous for Christians to say, well, I got everything I need to get. No. We need to be much more humble than that. We need to be much more open than that. We need to be thirsty for the presence of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to respond in faith. I want to encourage you. As you... As we've gone through this sermon today, I hope that this has laid a foundation that we framed up how to, a broad perspective of how to think about the Holy Spirit, and that as you sing in times of worship now moving forward, that you're aware, extra aware, of the different works of what God might be doing at different times, and wanting to be responsive to that and sensitive to that, not to presume, but to be open-minded and say, well, I want to respond to the Holy Spirit. Turn to Jesus today.